0: Let's pray real quick. Lord God, we do just pray that you open our eyes and our hearts, God, to see heavenly realities today. We thank you uh, so much that you meet us just where we are. No matter where we stand with you today, God, if we're just confused and searching, or where our hearts are aching and longing, God, for a touch and a word from you, we just invite you to just um, really speak to our hearts today through your word, through the power of being together. We're excited, Lord, to be in your presence and to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, as we've been uh, studying the Apostles' Creed together, uh, we've really had a focus for many weeks now on God and who God is in his triune nature as Father and Son and Holy Spirit all about who God is and then how we relate to God. But this week, the steering wheel kind of takes a jerk to the left, and we're forced to face one another and figure out what does it mean to say that we believe in one another? What does it mean to say that we believe in the church? Much easier to say, I believe in God, but do we really have faith, belief, and trust in one another? You know, Jesus told us that uh, it's so important that we love God and love one another, right? I mean, he, he said this in Mark twelve twenty nine to 31. Jesus says, he replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, all your mind and your strength. And the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so you see, God's design from the very beginning with human beings is that created in his image, we are to reflect on earth a heavenly reality of who God is, which is unity in community. And so the next line of the Apostles' Creed, it reads, I believe in the holy universal church and the communion of the saints. I believe in the church. It's not always easy to say. You almost have to choke out those words because many of us, if we're honest, don't we have issues with the church, right? I mean, I've heard things like, oh gosh, I don't know if I like the church. I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Or I don't need to go to church to worship. I can worship God on the golf course, Right? or the church is full of hypocrites. The church is just after my money. I've been burned by the church. You know, these days it's harder and harder to find people who believe in and are committed to the church. In fact, uh, there was an old preacher and he was standing at the back church door as people were exiting after the service. And he noticed on the way out, you know, there was old Jim. Hadn't seen old Jim in a while. So he said to old Jim, he said, Jim, you need to join the army of the Lord. And old Jim said to the pastor, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. The pastor said, well, how come I only see you here on Easter and Christmas? And old Jim whispered back, it's because I'm in the secret service. I mean, let's face it, isn't it true? It's just not easy always to trust the church. And here we're being asked to affirm our faith in an institution that we're not always sure that we can completely place our trust in you know maybe you remember this as a little kid i i I did this in sunday school you remember this here is the church right say it with me here is the steeple open the doors and see all the people and that's the problem right the people i mean seriously Because every time you go into a church, you're going to find difficult, ornery, critical, judgmental, mean people. I mean, there's good people sprinkled in there too. (laughs) But hey, you know what? We are all sinners in need of grace. And if you take away the people, you take away the church. Yes, people are the problem. But they're also the hope. And you know what? I actually thank God that there are no perfect churches. Seriously. Because here's the problem. If I were to show up, I wouldn't belong there. You know, I'd walk in and poof, no longer a perfect church, right? (laughs) It's true. And you see, just as we need to be able to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we need to also be able to say with a whole heart, I believe in the church. And I know you're going to need some convincing, some of you. And so we've got our work cut out for ourselves. So I want you to go ahead and take your outline out of your program, and we're going to start to walk through it and talk about why I should believe in the church. So if you take those message notes out and you have a Bible, you can turn it to Matthew 16. That's where our first launching point will be. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, um, the verses will be up here on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, we really want you to have one. And so please take one uh, from the lobby bookshelf right out there as a free gift for you as Uh, you exit later on today all right so our first point for your outline is this and that's that the church is from for and all about jesus christ when we talk about the the church do you know who first came up with the whole concept of the church you know was it peter paul or mary no it was jesus actually One day, Jesus asked his disciples who people were saying he was, right? He sat down with his disciples, who do people say I am? And the disciples said, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that maybe you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered back and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said something very fascinating back to Peter. In Matthew 16, 18, it records this. It says... Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. See, Jesus, he affirmed the truth that God had revealed to Peter, and he says, yes, your words about me are true, and on this truth I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot conquer it. This is the first time that we hear about the church in the New Testament, that the church is built... On this truth of who Jesus is, it's built for Jesus, by Jesus, and empowered by Jesus Christ. The, the word church in the original New Testament, which was written in Greek, is the word ekklesia, which means to be called out, called out. And so really what the church is, it's a group of people who are called out for Jesus' specific purpose. Well, what is that purpose? Well, it's very interesting what 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says that our purpose is. It says this. All of you together are Christ's body. The body of Christ. Each of you is a part of it. You see, the church is not a building. It's the people. And so why is it that we believe in the church? Because we are the church. We're the church. We're the body of Christ we are his tangible presence in this lost world jesus told his disciples he said to them greater works will i do or will you do because i go to the father he told them he would send his spirit the spirit of adoption and so when we receive jesus christ as our savior from sin what happens is we're adopted into god's family as his children We're given his spirit. We become partakers of the divine nature, it says in Peter. And God's spirit is with us. He becomes present then in the world, in us. You see, we reflect God's presence. We are his God in a bod. We are the body of Christ. (laughs) And so the church, in all its imperfections, in its flaws, in its brokenness, is still worth believing because God is in it. And he's building it one life at a time, bit by bit, bringing wholeness and healing in him through one another, growing us so that we reflect his likeness. All right, next point. The church is holy and set apart for God. Now, that word holy is almost kind of frightening, right? I mean, seriously, holy. Huh? <laughs> it's intimidating, it's hard to relate to. The only holy things that we can relate to are Swiss cheese and donuts. <laughs> holy feels like judgment, right? It just feels like this unattainable kind of standard way up here. But you see, the reason that the church is holy it doesn't mean that it's sinless. It means that it is set apart. The church is holy because it's set apart as God's treasured possession. God sanctifies us through our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're to pursue holiness in order to reflect his kindness, goodness, his nature and character to the world. 1 Peter 2, 9b says this, For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, we are chosen, loved, and called to Christ. In fact, the Bible says it refers to the church not just as the body of Christ, but as the bride of Christ. You know, in Revelation 19 and 21, it gives this beautiful picture of how God's people are joined to Christ at what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a beautiful picture. And you know, there's another portion of scripture that oftentimes we overlook, but it's, it just gives so much incredible insight as to this whole picture again of how the marriage union reflects Christ's union with the church. I want you to listen to this and hear what Jesus says in Ephesians 5, 25 to 32. Okay. It says, husbands love your wives. That'd be a great sermon right there, right? (laughs) Just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body as the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one now watch this this is a great mystery but it's an illustration of the way that christ and the church are one wow now let me tell you something i'm a pretty reasonable guy most of the time pretty chill right but there is something that will quickly send me to DEFCON 3, just being honest. And that's when someone criticizes my wife and kids. I'm kind of, sort of, going to get ugly with you at that moment. And so I wonder why we are so quick to criticize Christ's bride, the church. I mean, really. <laughs> you want to pick that fight? Think about it. We are God's holy church set apart for Christ, his bride. United to him in a wonderful and mysteriously spiritual way. You see, you can't love Jesus and not love the church. The church and Christ are one. And that's our next point. The church is one. One. The universal church is the one church of believers in Jesus from all time. From all time. United as one. Ephesians 4, 3 to 6 says this. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. All are one. Now, did you pick up the message here? The word one is spoken seven times because without oneness, there isn't any unity. The one holy universal church is the universal church of all believers in Jesus Christ in all places, in all forms, over all time, both now and all of those who have gone before us and now live in the presence of Jesus. And it includes, we just have to remember this wonderful cloud of witnesses that are above us and brothers and sisters all around us across the globe of every color, language, custom worshiping Jesus, proclaiming God's word, loving one another, and representing the living Christ in their communities. see a beautiful picture of this in Revelation chapter 7, where it describes a gathering in heaven of multitudes of people, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, if you can picture it, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and shouting, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And just as gigantic as the universal church is, it's also small and incredibly and deeply intimate. You see, the Christian church is both universal and local in the new testament always describes believers being connected into a local and intimate fellowship together we're called the universal church and we're also called to be into a local assembly of believers where we share jesus with one another and that's our next point which is that the church is a place of common union common union Now, the original Greek word for fellowship is the word koinia, and that means to share in common, to share a common union. And so what makes the church different than, say, being a part of the Rotary Club or softball team or a pickleball group, what makes the difference is that we have common union with God. We're grafted into an interdependent union together where we share the life of God with one another. And when we lean into this union, all of our differences melt away like butter. God's plan for the church. What he saved you into is a shared life where we minister to one another and with one another. It's all about one another. I don't know, you know, when you read through the New Testament, did you realize that there are 50 different one another's in the New Testament? 50. So I thought I'd read a few of them to you. Ready? Come to church and sit next to one another. Actually, that's not in there. Let me start the list. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Build one another up. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another, instruct one another, admonish one another, spur one another on, carry one another's burdens, be compassionate to one another. And the list goes on. It is so life-giving. Isn't this what we need in our life? That's what we're looking for. This is what God wants to bless us with. And pursuing these things together in community with God and one another is the picture of the church in its most beautiful form. And when the early church in the book of Acts where it's recorded, when they did these things, you know, it's no wonder that the culture around them were beating down their doors to be a part of it. And the the church spread like wildfire all across the globe. You see, we will never really be the church that God intends us to be until we move From being in rows to gathering in circles where we can share our story, where we can be known, where we can open our life, and we can let people know who we are and where we are and what we're going through. Church isn't a building. It's not a place we just kind of go to and show up to on Sundays. You know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It's just not happening. And community groups aren't just a way to meet other people from the church. See, groups were never supposed to be just an all a carte option on a menu of church activities. Being a community is the lifeblood of your faith. It's the umbilical cord of your connection to God. It's the very essence of what it means to be in Christ. We just can't experience common unity with God and others alone and we can't fulfill the one another commands of christ in isolation so i really believe that god has designed our faith purposefully and intentionally to restore us to this place again of the way that we were created to live in common unity with him and with one another and so when we do that our faith thrives and grows and is rich and when we don't just doesn't seem to work right. And we wonder if it's even real. Let me show you how important it is to practice faith as the church in community. Because only in community, first, grace is poured out. Grace is poured out. When we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and it it says that the Spirit gives us a spiritual gift. It's a special ability that is God-empowered, But what's fascinating about this spiritual gift is it never benefits us. In fact, we don't receive any benefit from it whatsoever. It is always to benefit other believers. That's interesting, isn't it? You see, it's only activated when it's used outward. 1 Peter 4.10 says each one of us should use whatever gift he or she has has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Almost like we have this symbiotic relationship, like a clownfish and an anemone. Not that I'm calling you all a bunch of clowns, but we experience God's grace and power through one another. God designed spiritual gifts purposely so that we only benefit from them in community. <clears throat> Next, God is present. God is everywhere. We know that. And we certainly can experience God's presence on our own. In fact, it is important spiritual practice and so life-giving to spend time in solitude with God. But at the same time, when we gather together, Jesus tells us that he is there in a very special and powerful way. Matthew eighteen twenty says, For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. <clears throat> haven't you experienced that to be true? I mean, isn't it true that when you've gathered in community with brothers and sisters, there's times when the air is just electric with God's love and his presence and his power. It's like this taste of heaven. God wants us to sense his presence with us. And you see, community is a catalyst to kind of awaken and open our eyes and hearts to the fact that he is with us. Because we sense him in one another. Next. Next. Care and support are given. It's incredibly moving for me personally to see when people who are intimately connected in community, when they go through a tragedy, struggle, or loss together, when they support each other through that. Because it's so true that when We are together in community. Sorrow is divided and joy is multiplied. And so when people come together and they grieve together, the sorrow is shared. And when they celebrate life's most wonderful moments, the joy is multiplied. That's what I experience in my community group. And I could tell you stories of highs and lows, but together it becomes so much more meaningful. Galatians 6.2 says this. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Remember what the law of Christ is? Love one another. <laughs> and we love one another in community. God never intends for his children to suffer alone. <clears throat> and, you know, let's face it. There are some, you know, that come, and they're not yet connected in community. And, it, and it's really hard when a tragedy strikes where there's a deep, deep need, and we honestly, we do our best as a staff to jump into action and do what we can to be able to help. I mean, it's kind of like the ambulance, though, that shows up at the door and is able to help out in the moment, but we can never sustain or replace what true community does, honestly. We can't be at every bedside. We can't deliver every meal. We can't be at every shoulder to cry on, and it hurts to not be able to do that, but it's not ab- we're not able Because, see, we're called to be the body of Christ for one another, to be connected in community. So earlier this summer, you may have seen this news story, but there was a family at the beach, and and, and they began to get caught into a riptide and being carried out to sea. And a lot of people felt helpless as to what to do. But this helpless situation turned into a hopeful situation when people grabbed hands to be connected to one another. Let's take a look at the video.
1: It's extraordinary video as complete strangers band together into a human chain to come to the rescue of a family caught in a riptide.
0: The water, when it starts going around, there's nothing that can save you.
1: Eighty, yes, eighty beachgoers rushed into the water and joined hands when they heard the cries for help. It happened on a beautiful beach day in Panama City, Florida, on the Gulf Coast. A young mother of four was enjoying a day at the beach when she saw two of her boys out in the water screaming for help. They were caught in a deadly riptide. Mom bravely swam to the rescue, but she got caught in the riptide as well. So did the boy's grandmother. Others tried to help. Altogether, nine people were in danger of drowning. The chain started in very shallow water close to shore. It went on for 300 feet in water about 15 feet deep. Jessica Simmons was having dinner on the beach when she heard the cries. I was like, I can help these people. I grabbed a, a man's hand, another man, I don't even know who they were, <laughs> and I grabbed their hands and just pulled, pulled the last girl in You can see someone exhausted being carried out of the water. Bystanders on the beach erupted in shears when the last person was rescued. Once safely on shore, she collapsed on the beach. <laughs> Among those rescued was eight-year-old Stephen Ursi and his mom, Roberta. We got caught in the current and well, our mom had to go in after me and my brother. And the people made a human chain and pulled us out.
0: As a mama, I'm supposed to be able to protect them and do everything and I couldn't do it that day. I had to have help. The
1: boy's grandmother suffered a heart attack during the ordeal and is still in the intensive care unit. The whole family is forever thankful to all those strangers who formed a human chain that saved their lives. Had
0: we not done what we did, they would have drowned. Yeah. I love what the mom said. You know, it's kind of neat to see the actual faces of real people there. And she said, I needed help. And that's what the church is meant to be to one another. Next point is that growth is encouraged. You see, spiritual growth and maturity is not just about knowledge. In fact, you know, Jesus, when he encountered the Pharisees, he criticized them because they had such large amounts of knowledge, but hardened hearts. You see, spiritual growth is being grounded in God's word and allowing his words to transform us, helping us surrender ourselves to God and to one another. We grow in community, you see, when we become known And we share our hopes, our fears, and our struggles so that we can receive grace, acceptance, forgiveness, encouragement, and healing. Ephesians 4.16 says this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God fits us together kind of like a puzzle You know, a puzzle so that interdependently we grow one another in faith, which restores us to wholeness and health and life and love. And last, faith is shared. Jesus said that our love for one another is what shows the world that he exists. And when the body of Christ lives in connection with Christ and one another, Jesus is present and he's recognized by the world. The book of Acts records the triumphs and struggles of the early church and how they gathered in large community and small community and how God used them to spread his work in the world. Acts 2, 46 and 47 says, they worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship Those who were being saved. See, the church is God's plan to save humanity. It's his strategy to restore us to our original design of life and community with God and one another. And as far as I'm concerned, I believe in the church. See, I've attended church since I was a very small little boy. I drifted from church as a young man. And I became a part of the church at 19 years old when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. But through it all, because I've seen it all. i am in hundreds of church services. I've been in dozens of small groups. I've seen the church at its best, and I've seen it at its worst. But through it all, I still believe in God's church. I believe in the Holy Universal Church and the communion of saints. You see, the church is soared and it's stumbled. It's been battered and criticized Even gunned down in some in some cases, yet the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, because leaders may fail, the world may rail, relationships may flail, and people may bail. But the church, it will prevail, and not based on what we do or say, but because Jesus says that it will. We can't turn away from an imperfect church because when we do, we turn away from Jesus himself because the church is the body of Christ in this world. I believe in the church and I believe in this church because I believe in you and I believe in you and I believe in you. And yes, I even believe in you. I believe in miracles, right? (laughs) I believe in Jesus' church at Twin Cities. With an unashamed leading edge to storm the gates of hell, to rescue people who are caught in the claws of spiritual death, engaging together to lead as many people as possible into a life giving and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm in. I'm in. I am the church. You too. You too. I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but we're it, right? <laughs> Do you believe in the church you believe in the church is your life like a billboard that exclaims it is it demonstrated in your time your resources your priorities we have a slogan in our community groups ministry it says don't go to church be the church be the church our community groups fall quarter starting in three weeks and i'm just extending an invitation if you are not connected into the intimacy of group life to be the church, I extend that invitation to come be the church together. There is an old great hymn, and I'm going to close with this. It says it well. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride and with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died lord thank you for the church (laughs) thank you for the amazing privilege to be a part of your design god to help us move toward what we were originally designed as people to be connected to you and to one another and god you know my heart i just pray for those who have struggled with the church and been distracted by the brokenness of the people, that that's the whole point of the church, that you came to save broken people, to give them life and hope and to make them new. And God, I pray that you would draw even those who are disconnected from you to a life-saving relationship to you, that they would surrender their life and heart to you, God, and say, Lord, come in, make me new, forgive me restore my heart. Help me to be part of this beautiful reality that you call the church. And God, for those of us who have been struggling and wailing, help us to see the church as the beautiful bride, not perfect, but the glorious, treasured bride of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.